waiting on the lights to rise, right? Jesus Christ really is our living hope. Amen. What a blessing for us to be together. Uh, thank you, Randall, for what you said. What a great follow-up to that story. Um, you can't, you can't kill us. We live on through Christ. Amen. What a, what a story there in Juarez, Mexico. Welcome to the Fellowship Center as well. Glad you guys are with us today. Also, our live stream audience is uh, always a blessing to have you tuning in from all around. Lisa's down there in Alabama somewhere watching. Hey, babe. Um, what a blessing to be together this morning. Kaylee Bird, would you come on up? She's going to read our scriptures. Yeah, how about a hand in advance? says here that Kaylee is 15 and in driver's ed, so look out, West Monroe. Oh, you finished it. Have you got your license yet? No. You ready to drive? Do you know how? No, that's not, not quick enough. Not quick enough. I know your buddies with Carly, and she's getting hers as well, so I'm just going to say a prayer for West Monroe. <laughs> no, they're going to do great. All right, you can read our scripture. more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Thank you. How about another round for Kaylee? I still remember when her dad was half her size, uh, leading singing out at our little church out at Luna. What a blessing to be able to have generations of faith uh, worshiping here today. Ephesians 1, Paul said, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Paul said in Galatians 4, When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So everything in all of human history... Before the creation of the universe led up to the moment that we're going to look at today in Matthew 3 and Matthew 4. We know that Jesus had been miraculously conceived because of his divine nature. And yet he was born as a baby boy. He lived basically under 30 years of obscurity and anonymity. We know hardly anything about his life on earth. He was seen as the oldest son of a carpenter living in Nazareth in Galilee until this moment. 
His time is now. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, chapter 4 today, if you'd like to follow along. When you have a magnanimous moment, like the one we're about to witness today, there are certain things that need to happen to really show you how great and awesome it really is. So we begin by having what I call the announcer. You know, when you see movies about, you know, the old days of, of monarchs and, and kingdoms, and you remember whenever there was a great declaration that was coming from the king, someone would say, hear ye, hear ye. And then they would make that proclamation, right? It was an announcer. Someone usually dressed colorful to get your attention so that you would listen to the message that the king had for you. We have such an announcer here in Matthew chapter 3. It's a man who was born in the spirit of Elijah, one of the greatest prophets to ever live. In fact, the very last words of the last book of the Old Testament, written over 400 years before Matthew 3, said this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah and he will come to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord coming. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Which is exactly what happened in AD 70. All that history and everything that led up to that moment. But everyone had 40 years of opportunity to listen to the announcement. To change their destiny. Some did. Many didn't. In John chapter 1, the priests and the Levites, they asked John the Baptist, they said, Are you Elijah? No. Are you the Christ then? No. Are you the prophet? No. Well, who are you? They asked him. And that brings us to Matthew chapter 3. In these days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was his message. Over and over. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, the forerunner, the announcer. What did John look like? Not much. He'd fit in around here. Right? It's our way. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. They weren't coming to him because he looked like a fancy preacher. In fact, they had to go and find him. Looking the way he did with that simple message. And they came. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. A season of change is coming. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is close, it's near. And Poopy began to say, oh man, it's finally Messiah time, it's going to happen. And lives were changing, hearts were changing. People were drawing close to God. But this man, who looked like he did, with the message that he had, was also unafraid to speak power to authority. Verse 7, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, and why were they coming? To get baptized? No. To observe. 
to decide whether this was okay, to decide whether they would make a rule, whether this couldn't happen or could happen. And he said, you brood of vipers. There's a good opening line for a sermon. Pit full of snakes. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, which is exactly what they were going to say. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. You're nothing but a dumb rock. That's what he said. Man, this was a suitcase sermon. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. And that means you was his message to them. Now, that's a man who's not afraid to speak on behalf of the almighty. That sort of boldness would wind up costing him his head later in Matthew. But that's what prophets do. They speak the truth, whether it's popular or it's not popular. And they're not afraid to call those in authority what they are. Tyrants. And that's what these people were. He went on to say, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What an announcer. All true. For some, Jesus is great news, as Randall said. For others, it's fake news, and they don't believe. For them, stands judgment. That was the announcement. Look at verse 13. After the announcement, we find out that there's an anointing and an affirmation. Jesus came from Galilee, verse 13, to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, this ought to tell you something about the character of this man, God, who we follow. He never sinned. So he wasn't coming to be baptized for repentance from anything. He was the son of God. But he came and submitted himself anyway. And that says something about our Lord. In fact, it shocked John so much in verse 14. John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. And look, up until this point, he didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. He just looked at his life and looked at his character. And he said, look, you don't need to be here. If anything, he was saying, John, you need to be baptized in me. Jesus replied, let it be so now, for it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented to fulfill all righteousness, to do the right thing, to have a moment of affirmation and a moment of anointing. I find it interesting that Jesus would pick this same sacrificial symbol, the same one we still participate in today, to recognize our submission to Christ, right? To recognize our anointing of the Holy Spirit, to recognize the authority that God in heaven has given to Christ that now we bow the knee before. 
baptism. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. Man, would that have been something to see? What if you'd have got to be John the Baptist in that moment? I mean, you come up out of the water and you look up. and I mean, I've seen some really cool stuff here for baptism. Never seen this. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So whatever that looked like, he actually saw the Spirit. Spirits are hard to see. But in the moment, he was allowed. And then a voice from heaven, and it wasn't a Tommy Inman voice. It's a deep, powerful voice. Sorry, Inman. I just want to make sure you're watching. This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Man, what words of affirmation. You see in this powerful moment, for the first time ever, In the history of all creation, we see the Son as a human being. We see the Spirit of God coming to Him to indwell Him that would indwell us as well when He poured it out and made it available for us. And then you see the authority of the Almighty Yahweh, Jehovah God, who had been the voice throughout all of human history, said, this is the guy. This is your guy. Listen to him. Wow. That's powerful. Anointed, affirmed, and given all authority. But here's something really interesting. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. The Hebrew writer said he had to be made like us in every way. And because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus Christ never succumbed to temptation. That makes him different from all other men and women on the earth. In the history of all people, in all the time until he comes back. But he understands temptation. Because he himself was tempted. And the Bible says he suffered as a result of it. So that's why we come to chapter 4. And we see the first thing out of the box for Jesus now in this new anointing, in this new ministry, in this new kingdom, is his adversary. Our old pal, who's been around since the garden, the devil. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So he purposely was taken here. He was led there by the Holy Spirit. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, it's hard for me to fast 40 minutes. He was hungry. Yes. The tempter came to him. Now, this tells you something about the character of our adversary. He loves to make his move when you're at your lowest, weakest, terrible time. Whether that's something physical, something spiritual, something emotional. Something going on, it just it seems like one thing after the other, and when's the other shoe going to drop, and what's going to happen? In that moment, that's when he's going to approach you. You know how I know this? Because if he was bold enough to approach the Son of God, why would he worry about Al? He coming. The tempter said to him, 
if you are the son of God. In other words, I've been hearing things. You're the Messiah. You got to remember, the Bible tells us Satan doesn't really know why God has come to earth. He doesn't know the plan. You know he's got to be hatching a lot of stuff because the evil one is very devious. And he's very good at schemes and setting traps, but he doesn't know why he's here. What is it? Could he be possibly doing? Becoming one of these creatures? If you are the son of God and you're hungry, tell these stones to become bread. I mean, show us something. All the miracles they were asked for, all the signs of authority they were asked throughout this book of Matthew and all the Gospels, and the very first sign asked for was by whom? The evil one. Show me something. You see, he appealed to Jesus' humanity. A moment we can all understand, being hungry. Happens to me every day. It's as human as breathing air. You get hungry, you put some fuel in your body, right? So he appeals to him at a base level. Eat. But Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know what he's saying? If you just took that and changed a little bit, you don't have to be controlled by your flesh. You see, we believe the fake news lie that we only can be driven by our fleshly desire. If I really want something, if I desire it, if my body is telling me I need it, then I have to have it. Jesus says, no, you don't. The spirit is stronger than the flesh. The word of God is stronger than your flesh. You don't have to do anything. You see, our soul and spirit makes us different than an animal that just reacts on pure instinct and exactly what's in front of it. That's not us. We have a choice. We have a conscience. If we hadn't seared it, that says you don't have to make that choice. And Jesus shows us the way out. Appeal to the word of God. It's greater. It's changing. There are so many people that have been trapped for so long in some addiction or something else. And then once they finally figure it out and the word of God is now ruling in their life, they realize they don't have to be driven by the flesh. And Jesus shows us that first. But if you try to do it on your own, well, I'll just come up with my own plan for this thing. That's what takes us to verse five. So the devil fails in the first attempt. The devil took him to the holy city. We're going to Jerusalem. He had him stand on the highest point of the temple. I mean, he way up there on the at the most holy place in all of Israel. He picked that place for a reason. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written. What, 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 what? The devil's fixing to quote scripture. Are you kidding me? He knows the Bible. Yep. He knows it well, apparently. He quotes Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Not only did he know Psalm 91, he knew it was a prophetic text about Jesus. Our enemy is pretty sharp. But he's not as smart as he thinks he is. Jesus says... 
It is also written, I got a verse for your verse, devil. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, the first attempt was at his humanity. But this one is literally to his divinity. He recognizes he's from God. He's known it through the whole time. Israel may have missed it, but the devil didn't miss it. And so now he's saying, why wait? I don't know what you got planned, but just jump off of here now. Nothing's going to happen to you. Everybody's going to know. My plan can be better than your plan. Jesus said, nope. Because the will of God is always greater than our will. The plans of God are always greater than our plans. How many times have you just known that you were doing the right thing only to find out later it was not the right thing? And you forgot that one simple start. God, do you want me to do this? I've started working on sermons before and just beating my head against the table and I can't get this thing going. Oh, wait, I didn't ask the Holy Spirit to be in charge of the planning. And then it becomes much easier. So that's failure number two. Verse eight. The devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Man, that must have been something. All those firelights and sparkling things out there. All this, the evil one said, I will give you as if it was his to give. If you will bow down and worship me. You know, I understand the going after the humanity. I understand the divinity even to a certain extent. This one is a low blow. Because you know what he's appealing to now? Jesus' love for you and me. He knew that instinctively. That's why I said, you own all these people? Which is exactly why Jesus came here, was for all those kingdoms and all those people. He loves every single person so much that he wants every single one to find salvation. And the devil's not trying to use this against him because he said, look, we'll work together on this deal. I mean, this is the art of the deal. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. We rule this world together. Jesus said, and finally, this is the final, because he says, away from me, Satan. I'm done with the temptation. For it is written, third time he's used scripture, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That tells me there are no deals with the devil. There's no halfway in, halfway out. There's no, we're going to hold hands and walk with the devil for a while to make good and have good things happen. Will not work. You serve God or you don't. There's no middle ground. There's no shortcut to salvation. The devil leaves him and the angels come and they attend him. And that's such a beautiful scene. You know what that meant? They had some food, some water. So you think, would I want the devil to be replaced by angels in my life? Wouldn't it be great to feel like you were being attended by angels? That somehow people, some being somewhere outside was lifting you up? That you feel that presence? 
I've talked to so many people that said, you know, in this moment, I just, I felt prayer and I felt strength. And I, it was almost just like there were angels there holding me up in the moment. It happened for Jesus. I sure would rather the devil leave and that happen for me, wouldn't you? So how does that happen? Well, I'm going to have to quit being led by my fleshly desire. I can't follow those desires and find Jesus. I'm just going to find more trouble. I can't live my life by my own will and my own plan. Will not work. I can't take shortcuts. I can't cut deals. I can't submit my will to anybody except my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what I learned from this. And also that the Word of God is always the answer to the evil one. Always. I get notes from all people all around the country listening to our podcast, and they say, you know, I just don't, y'all know the Word, and man, it's just it's so good, it's encouraging, but I just, I just don't know anything. And then usually some point later they say, and I'm just struggling so bad. Yeah, those two go together. Because if you don't know how to respond to the evil one and what to say and what God has given you through your Holy Spirit and also through the Spirit's word that he wrote down. Yeah, you're going to stay in a vicious cycle. A struggle. The word of God is the perfect answer. Well, we get to verse 12 through 25 of chapter 4, because now Jesus has been announced. He's been affirmed in power, in authority. He's been anointed by the Holy Spirit to now carry on this ministry for all of us. He's faced the adversary and won, and he will win again on the cross and coming out of that tomb. So now there is what I call the advance And there's three things that happen the rest of this chapter, and we'll leave it there. In verse 16 of Matthew chapter 4, it says, it was as a quote, The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, just like his announcer, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Oh, it's getting close. And he's going to unlock those gates to it, and it's going to change everything. Not just for the first century, but for us. You see, he shined his light. In verse 19, he found, began to found 12 people that were going to be his disciples, that were going to have a lot more disciples beyond that. And he said, come, follow me. And he told the first ones, because they were fishermen, I will make you fishers. Of men, all mankind. You see, he was building a future with faithful followers. And we're still doing that to this very day. I mentioned that you a third generation young lady up here reading scripture today. That's how you pay this forward. Generation, generation, generation. And you think, well, that's pretty easy to do. No, it's not. If you want to know how not easy it is to do, just take a good look at our culture for about a week. And you see how quickly people forget to teach their children and their children's children. It can happen to us if we're not vigilant to build faithful followers. 
And then verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The last thing Jesus did was to fulfill his destiny. He had the authority and the power of God. He could do great, miraculous things, but it wasn't the miracles. It was him. That's what saved people. People got well, but guess what? They're going to get sick again. It's called living and then dying. You need Jesus to be able to conquer both. And that's what he showed us. Last Sunday, I was near uh, Shanksville, Pennsylvania, just a few miles away from where uh, aircraft, United Flight 93, crashed in some woods and in some of those rolling hills. There's a huge memorial there now. There were 40 people that woke up just like they did every day. Some were going to work. Some were flying to go on a vacation. Some were just doing their job, flight attendant, pilot. And four men, of course, changed everyone's destiny that day. Because they realized in a moment that they were being used as a weapon against our nation, against those things that we hold dear and institutions. And so they had a decision to make in just a few short minutes. Now, I've been on a lot of airplanes. I've experienced some scary things. But I haven't been sitting there knowing that we're about to be used as a weapon to kill a bunch of other Americans. And so in that moment, people were crying. People are upset. They're making phone calls to family, telling them goodbye. And four men led by one man of God, Todd Beamer, decided that their destiny today would not be to be a weapon, but to take out evil and confront it head on. A man of God said the final words that we were using as a rally point last Sunday. Let's roll. Let's roll. Jesus began this ministry to change hearts and lives. He's changed mine. I was 18 when I finally submitted, and when I finally succumbed to Jesus and said, let's roll. Are you there today? Has the evil one used the fleshly desires to just get in your way? Your destiny is more than just to fly along and run into a building. Your destiny is to confront evil with the power of God and know that you will live eternally. And you can do that. Every single one of us has that capacity. Jesus began this ministry for us. If you have a need today, whether it's prayer requests, whether it's to commit your life to Christ, whether it's to be baptized and same symbol, say, we are anointed and affirmed and we're going to go forward. Today's your day. Why don't you do that while we come and while we sing?